Justine and welcome to the very first episode of Politics and Pints, the podcast where I chat to interesting guests about their relationship with politics and discuss a political topic that's important to them. I'm your host, Justine Hughes. I'm an online content creator, an activist, a professional marketer, a parent, a daughter, a friend, and most importantly, a lover of both politics and pints. The reason I wanted to start this podcast is I often have friends, colleagues, family members have conversations with me about politics in all kinds of different contexts. And over the years, I've found that you get the most honest, open and fun conversations over a pint. My guest for episode one is comedian, author, influencer and all round great human Sophie Hagen. Sophie, welcome to Politics and Pints. How are you? Hi, Justine. Thank you so much for having me on your brand new podcast. I'm very excited. How exciting. Um, So for those of the listeners who don't know you, can you just tell me a bit about yourself, who you are and what you do? I am from Denmark. I'm a stand-up comedian. And then I also do that thing which most stand-up comedians do where we essentially do all sorts of other jobs as well. So like I've written a book. I... I'm like trying to become like a, an influencer because I love uh, paying my rent and getting free stuff. And I, oh, I podcast a bunch and I will podcast with the BBC sounds called Bad People, True Crime Stuff. And I do some writing and a, a, a bunch of stuff. A whole bunch of stuff. A whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> well, thank you for coming to chat to me. This is a really nice episode because we are real life friends. And I don't think we've ever actually sat and had a conversation for this long amount of time face to face. And I also, the only memory I have of us, because yeah, we, li- we live so far away from each other, so most of it is, is over the phone. But what I mostly remember is when we met up for dinner and you ended up wrapping all my Christmas presents because you were so mad at me doing it the wrong way, which I think summarizes you as a person. <laughs> yeah, very accurate. And you were angry it had colors because you wanted like beige Christmas wrapping paper. Yeah, I think I was angry that you used like a shiny wrapping paper so the sellotape wouldn't stick to it properly as well. It's a very bad choice. <laughs> I think I've made a perfect decision. <laughs> And you are just a bit controlling. Not even just a bit, a lot. <laughs> but you're, you're the kind of person who's like, you'll be like, stop wrapping my presents. And then it turns out you're so much better at it than I would ever be. And then you kind of forgive you. <laughs> it's worse for the people who are controlling, but then they do it badly. You actually really nail it often, which is, you gotta, you gotta give you that. Yeah, you're right. I am great at everything. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> Cool. So um, politics and pints. So obviously we will get onto the politics thing, but we'll start with the most important part, which is the pints. Now, I was very disorganized and actually picked these up on the way here. We are (laughs) recording in a lovely studio in Leeds today. So I picked a beer from a West Yorkshire based brewery called Vocation. So we are both drinking the Heart and Soul Session IPA today, which is one of my favorites. Um, You're not a huge beer person like I am. So I'm very interested to see what you think of it. I've... I. Drink, uh, beer for me is very sort of situational, so I don't really drink beer for the taste. I drink it f- just for the sort of memories and the, you know, I'm, I'm from Denmark. We drink like Carl's Special and we do it in like big pitchers full of beer and we'd all share a pitcher. And like, so I, I wouldn't sit at home and drink a beer, but this one looks, I'm going to say fruity. Mm. And it's, it's described as a full-bodied fruity beer. Yeah, on the back it says to expect a fruit salad flavour with bold notes of passion fruit, grapefruit, gooseberry, pineapple and mango. That's offering a lot. So. I don't have high hopes. 
but I'm excited to try. Okay, are we going to try and do a coordinated can opening sound? At the same time? Okay. Yeah, second. okay. Wait, don't have any nails. <laughs> Wait. Okay, I think so. <laughs> I'm so glad this is on video. <laughs> I probably just sprayed the beer into my nose. That'll love teach it. me. Have a little slip for these ASMR lovers. It smells fruity. Um, it's good. <laughs> I'm not convinced by your face. Mm. I've never had fruit that tastes like this before. <laughs> well, well I don't I think like I've it. ever had gooseberry. Maybe this is just a gooseberry. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what. It's, it's far away from a, a good old Carl special. But do mm. um, <laughs> you know what? I'm sure beer people like it. It's super nice. It's very pretty. Very pretty. But I think it's deceptive because you look at it and you think, oh, I'm going to have like a like a, 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 a red berry drink, but then it's still beer. Well, we can tell Vocation to up their packaging game. Yes, more <laughs> honest, just don't have a, what is it, a, like a bird of some sort and some palm trees. This is not a palm tree kind of beer. Yeah, we're in Leeds. This is no a beer garden. Trees. Put a beer garden on your can. Be honest with us. <laughs> cool. So let's move on to the politics section. Thank God. Obviously, like I said, we have, we're friends, so we kind of briefly discussed and you were kind of like, oh, I don't know anything about politics, but that's not what this podcast is about. So um, do you consider yourself to be a political person? See, you're kind of s- summarizing it in that because my instinct will always be to say, oh, I don't know anything. You know, I didn't grow up in a political family. Like I would have to explain my, like recently I'd had to explain to my mother, like, what is right wing what is left wing like my mother will always ask me who to vote for because she has no idea um so it wasn't until probably like in my early 20s before I started realizing what it was all about and then I lived in Denmark and then I moved here and it's very different here and it's so much more subtle so I'm (laughs) I'm still learning about the ins and outs of of politics in this country. So I I do think I do, like, compared to most of my family, I do know a lot about politics and I am very politically motivated, but I usually say social politics because I think that describes it better because the actual politic bit of knowing things about how it works, which is all very confusing and and honestly terrifying when you start to learn about it. Uh, that's when I lack in knowledge. But um, but when it comes to social politics, that's where I at least try to learn as much as possible. And then I, in, in that terms of that, I do think I am quite political, at least emotionally, maybe not practically. <laughs> right. And that's what you've said there kind of hits the nail on the head of exactly why I wanted to start this podcast. Um, my lovely friend Isabella, who I think I'm hoping I can get on this podcast at some point, um, sent me a really long voice note one day basically saying, um, I care really deeply about this issue, but I don't know anything about politics. I don't know who my MP is. I don't know who I need to write to. And it can be really easy to think, well, I don't know the ins and outs of the logistics of how it works. So therefore, I must not be a political person or I must not know enough about politics. But it's so much deeper than that. And it's about the things you care about. And like you say, the social side of it and how it actually affects your life and how you have to personally interact with it is so much more important than knowing what proportional representation is or who the MP for a certain area of Scotland is. All that stuff doesn't it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of it. And that's kind of why why I wanted to do this and why I want to talk to people like yourself who have got vastly interested opinions but don't necessarily 
know how to fit those into a political context. So. I also, but I also think it's a, it's a, it's a. Pro- <laughs> I didn't know it would be the, this quick before I said it's a problem in this country. <laughs> but, um, the what's it called? Voting, the percentage of people who are voting, yeah, is so much lower than in Denmark. And I was so shocked at how ridiculously difficult it is to vote here and to figure out how to vote. And it feels so inaccessible. Politics in this country feels it's so inaccessible. Where in Denmark, they send you the voting card to be like, here you go, just go vote. Like you don't have to register to vote. It's a ridiculous concept. And so I think even in Denmark, even if you don't feel like you know anything, you still feel involved. I mean, in a way, you know, it's it feels more accessible. And also because we have this different kind of system where two or three, maybe four parties will be in government at the same time. So I think you're more likely to feel heard. And there are seven, eight different options, depending on how many of the parties you count. So you can have everything from like the sort of EDL of Danish politics all the way to like the communist party and then everything in between of like the conservatives, the liberals, the socialism, the sense of socialism. And so it's a bit easier to say, oh, I think I'm over here on the spectrum where here it feels like, well, there's this or there's that, or you're a dreamer and you vote for these guys who will never make it. And it's like, but what if, (laughs) but also I have to register to vote and you make it really difficult for me. And it just seems like there's no there's no choice and I'm not being heard. Mm. So I understand. I really understand that so few people actually vote because it's so far away from you. And all you hear is that there's just rooms full of rich people who are like, oh, yeah, well, you can vote. But actually, <laughs> we're the ones making the decisions. Yeah, 100%. I think a lot of people are feeling that, especially at the minute, given, you know, we've got a prime minister that nobody voted for. We've got a new yeah. monarch that nobody voted for. I think that's a really common feeling around people at the minute. And when you say about accessibility with voting, is that the biggest difference you feel between sort of politics in Denmark and politics here? I think, yes. I think accessibility in general, like as a very broad term, feels like one of the biggest differences. And then, of course, the because it's such a smaller country, you know, we're five million people. So, of course, the distance between me and a politician feels a lot less than it might do here. And I seem to remember, like when I went to school, political engagement was um encouraged i i think i'm pretty sure i joined a political like youth party even before i really thought that i was politically engaged just because it was like an option and it seemed like a fun thing to do and you'd hang out with other people and you know you'd start to learn about it that way where here it's like i it feels like a country that just wants people to you know just live your own life and then we'll sort it up here at the top. And then you just have to accept whatever we do. I, I don't, it doesn't feel like we have much of a, a choice here. And you can tell that by, you know, just finding out what I, as a, as someone who lives here and I have, what's it called? Stay to settled status, settled, settled yeah. status, but still finding out what I can and cannot vote for. Like there have been elections that no one told me were happening. Like, no one talked about it. No one said, go and vote. And I was like, wait, today there's an election? What? How can we just have, like, a, it was, you know, a local one or, like, a whatever, county one or whatever it's mm. called. And I was like, how are we not talking about how important this is? But we're just, you know, we're such a small fish in a very big tank. And, oh, I guess someone else will probably sort it. And we're, it's not really for me anyways because they're all rich people sounding really weird in a big room of other <laughs> 
rich white people. Right. And I guess when as we're talking about engagement, that's that's quite nicely leads on to the next question. That if you, you know, you're pretty active on social media, the, I guess the kind of circles you move in are probably fairly politically knowledgeable people. Mm. Do you think um, it's completely possible to switch off from politics completely, to be completely disengaged and just completely ignore it? I do think it is. I think it is. I think I could. I could shut off from it. In theory, I definitely have shut off a lot of it just because it was driving me up the wall and I was losing my mind. Um, but I belong, you know, I'm queer, I'm non-binary, I'm fat. So I, I be, you know, I belong to a lot of different groups of people who are very affected. I'm in the privileged end of it, but still affected by a lot of the laws. You know, I have ovaries and stuff, so stuff like that also matters in terms of all these abortion chats about abortion and stuff. So a lot of the laws and the things that are happening at the moment affect me a lot. But emotionally, like, I don't have to engage with it. I can just live my life and do, like, <laughs> get rather with me influencing <laughs> videos, and I never have to mention it. I never have to talk about it. And I think, especially in this country, that would actually be it also feels like people don't really want to hear people being angry about things. It's very much the keep calm, carry on mentality of, oh, we just would rather just see you be like happy and joyful and then shh, shh, don't, don't talk about the bad things. I think you can, but I don't think you should. And I think it says a lot that politics have now become so uncomfortable. We don't like, it's all bad news. It's all bad news all the time. Not just bad news, but huge changes that we have no control over and then when you say something you know you will most likely get attacked so what's the benefit in saying anything of course the benefit is that you are making however small it is some change mm. but then you start to weigh it up against each other you go well if i say this and then i'm attacked on the internet for three weeks is it worth it mm. And then you suddenly have to have really strong, you know, boundaries and strong like mental health and strong convictions and stuff before you can actually say, yeah, I guess it is worth being, you know, abused on the internet just to have made what felt like maybe a tiny, tiny change. Right. And it, yeah, finding that balance of is it worth it when usually the things we're talking about, so whether that be, be being LGBT, being fat, being a woman, any of those things are the things that we feel like we can't speak because of those things. So that makes us want to talk and then we get shut down and it's a totally vicious cycle of, yeah, again, is it worth it? Um, so yeah, I think a lot of people probably feel that way and particularly being somebody with quite a large platform on the internet, you probably feel that times a hundred to what a lot of people do. You know, people are scared to post things on their own personal Facebook pages when they've got, you know, 25 people from school on there. When you are visible on the internet, having a platform probably changes that. And I guess, does that make you second guess yourself sometimes? Do you sometimes think about posting political things and shy away from it for that reason? Or? I never second guess myself. Like I'm very, very, very certain that I'm right about everything I believe in uh, until someone proves me wrong, <laughs> which I will accept. But I don't ever second guess my opinions. Well, I do, I do if it's something I don't know anything about, right? But I have certainly had, from a career perspective, I've had to reconsider what and in which way I would post things. Because what we need to think about is like if you have 25 you know, friends from school who see your posts and then maybe write horrific things to you, 
Or if you have, what do I have, 130,000 something followers who do the same thing, but there's more. To our nervous system, that all feels the same because our nervous system just registers attack and then it tells you, you're in danger, someone's going to kill you now. And then we go into this feeling of, you know, defense and oh no, and you get anxiety and, you know, you get nervous and anxious and that doesn't change like the amount of people doing it, but it'll happen more often, (laughs) you know, when you are... If you do that a lot, if every post you make has some kind of message. So even that, like being attacked, is the most efficient way to make someone shut up. Because it's so terrifying and we can't interpret, we can't tell our nervous system, oh, this is not actually, well, we, we could, but no, none of us know to do it. To go, oh, you're safe, you're safe, it's behind the screen. Because it just feels like, it wakes up that like, <laughs> from like, ages ago when you were in like caves and stuff it's like that little thing saying there's a tiger coming to kill you and like that's the same feeling we get now just it's on the internet uh i have stopped posting a lot of things um mostly because i felt i i now only want to post things that i believe can actually make some kind of change and doing that has meant that i had to figure out who is my audience who's reading this because I will be honest with you, for many years, and especially like when we started knowing each other, you you, you can see the difference in how I post because I used to be very, very angry. No, anger is like the secondary emotion. Performative. I was incredibly performative. I wasn't, I was speaking to people who already agreed with me about things they already agreed with in order for them to see how good I was. So it's very much like, preaching to the choir, right? And then, mm. like, showing how outraged I was at the injustice. And, you know, and then I would get people who were, you know, from the right wing or whatever who would then comment and be against it. And then I could be even more like, oh, my God, it's horrible. Mm. And I realized I'm not making any changes. I'm, like, making the right wing people more angry at me and the group that I pretend to belong to. And actually... It's just creating a bigger divide. And what I should be doing is thinking, okay, who's listening? And what are their issues? What are our issues, right? And I, you know, so I look at my audience and I have to see like what kind of social, socioeconomic bracket are they from? What kind of, you know, beliefs do they have? What what problems are we causing that we need to deal with? And then we talk about that. And sometimes having to talk about that can be really uncomfortable and ugly and unpopular. And you will look mostly like a dickhead and you'll look pretentious and you'll look uh like you'll piss people off and that's actually when you make a change when you piss off your own people it's so easy shitting on right-wing people and and there's a level of like um tone policing like you're allowed to be super angry if they have done something to the group that you belong to but to do it in like an ally kind of way of going oh, how dare you do this to this group? I'm an ally, I'm going to fight for them and I'm going to call you a cunt. You're like, well, that's just going to make them ang- angrier. Actually, you could benefit, if you want us to make change, you could benefit from saying, well, let's have a conversation. You know, it was very much a thing of like, oh, I shouted at my racist uncle. Oh, fuck you, I'm never going to see you again. <laughs> and you're like, sure, and I get that you're angry, but if you're a white person and your uncle is racist, it's your job to sit down with your uncle and and speak to him with compassion until he gets it. And that's the hard thing to do. And it's also very unpopular to say as a broad statement, oh no, you need to have lovely conversations with your racist uncle. <laughs> but if you if you understand the nuance of that, of like, well, you have to do this really shitty, uncomfortable thing that makes you really angry 
Because that is how you, if you just piss him off even further, he's not going to stop being racist, but you could actually maybe have a conversation with him. And then I, I want to try and do that, like have that conversation plus have a nuanced understanding of mental health. Mm. So be like, I can, two things can be right at the same time. If it's detrimental to your mental health to have a conversation with a racist uncle, at some point you're going to have to make the decision how much is it detrimental versus how much is you wanting to be an actual good ally. And sometimes it's an impossible choice. Sometimes you can't do the right thing. Sometimes you have to do the selfish, racist thing of not doing it, of not having the conversation. And to an extent, we have to say, taking, taking the entire world and everything into account, sometimes that is what has to happen. And that can still be problematic, even though it's the right thing for you. And I found that that level of understanding and that level of nuance is not easy for the internet to comprehend. Because yeah. it's, it's it's complicated. And how can we carry two similar thoughts at the same time that are contradicting to each other, but they are both true? Yeah, it's really interesting what you say about your audience and thinking about who you talk to, because we hear the word echo chamber a lot, right? Mm. And it's always in a negative context that, you know, we, and we're all aware that we live in echo chambers and we have lovely bubbles on Twitter of people that follow us and like us, but maybe that can be a really positive thing. And when we look at, use that echo chamber to bounce around the ideas with people that we know can make those changes because they are listening to you because they're not the far right that are avoiding you, the people that are engaged. Why aren't we using these echo chambers to do something positive rather than just go, oh, look how terrible it is for us. And getting, yeah, I've never really heard it used in a in a positive way. Well, it's it's because it's not. Well, it's. I think it goes against our nature, right? Like we want a group, we want to be part of a group, and we like being part of the group and being like, oh, look at those right wing people, blah. And we're just gonna, we're so good and they're so bad, which is <laughs> true. <laughs> That's one hundred percent true. <laughs> yeah. Let's get that out now. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Like I'm not. I'm not. I'm. This is not me saying. Oh, we need to listen to both sides. That's absolutely not what it is. Yeah, we have yeah. the same goal which is to have everyone be free and safe and happy and, you know, eradicate fascism and all of those things. But I think it's how we get there is more complicated than shouting. And if you'd said that to me four years ago, I would have canceled myself, right? I would have been like, <laughs> oh, how dare you say we should, you know. And there's a truth to it. You know, some mm -hmm. people do have to throw themselves in front of horses and, you know, shout and punch and use violence and burn down shops and stuff. That's definitely part of it. Um, but for those of us who are not going to do that bit because we're terrified and like, <laughs> physically useless. Um, we need to figure out another way of like, how can I, like, what is my strength? What can I do? Right. Like I couldn't do this podcast. Right. And that's going to make a difference. We can all do whatever, however big the difference will be. I couldn't, but this is your strength. This is exactly mm -hmm. what you're talking about. And then my strengths are different, you know, and I had to find out what my strength was because me shouting on the internet was ruining my career my social life, my mental health, and it was probably creating a bigger divide. So hmm, <laughs> I may have felt good, you know, haha, ha, just shouted at a racist, but I wasn't doing anything. Whereas mm. now I have, I'm getting a better idea of what I can do. And I'm getting the, the next step is to try and figure out what I can do community based. Because I do think that is something we, especially like my generation of internet -y people, you know, it's very much me and my and the rest of the world on my phone. But actually, if I go outside, it's probably something I could do in my area. And that's the next step I want to try and figure out. You know, yeah. What do I do? Do I volunteer? Is that mm. my strength? Can I do something better because I have a platform? Could I help in other ways? Or should I just like physically go down and work in a, 
center of something and like, what can I do? How do I, how can my community best use my abilities? And that might not be something that, <laughs> that might not be fun, but that, no. uh, that will probably be, I mean, because there's such a, again, we're going back to the politics, right? There's such a big leap from us right here to the government who makes all the decisions. And yeah. 100%. It's about figuring out how to get mm. there. That's what community is all about, right? It's, it's bridging that gap and feeling engaged. And I don't, I don't even know if I've ever talked to you about this. Every year I, I pick a word of the year, which is the word that I keep checking in on myself. Um, last year it was resilience. This year mm. my word is community. Um, so I love that you use the word community. It's made that. my eyes gold sparkly. Because <laughs> um, it is it's the way to connect people and it's the it's a way of checking in on myself and bridging that gap because it can like we said at the start feel so like the decisions they made at the top has nothing to do with us whereas there are literally things on our doorstep physical and virtual as well community doesn't just have to be you know within your postcode it can be online communities mm. it can be um communities to do with your identity and who you are and they're just as important and as valid as each other and it's like endless the opportunities you can do so like you know some days it'll be the things that you do online the things that you post online probably are helping your community but equally is it going down to your local food bank on a tuesday and volunteering for an hour there's so much and it there's literally endless yeah there's so much you can do and it is it is so easy to feel disengaged from the top and forget that there there are so many things we can do to do yeah. that and not feel like we're shouting into a void because we shouting into a void is important right we need to do it sometimes mm. we need to let it off our chests and mm. you know signing petitions and all these things are so important because mm. they might feel a bit pointless but you know they are being heard somewhere i believe so anyway they are being mm. heard mps are hearing them the government are hearing them to a certain degree mm. but it can feel so pointless that yeah really getting in there with our communities is so important mm. um i guess my last question of this section then is if there was something politically that you didn't know something about mm. um um, so a concept or something that had happened, where would you look to find out more about it? Oh, I mean, I would obviously start by Googling always. And then I would usually give up. because <laughs> 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 It would use fancy words I didn't know. Um, then I would ask people that I trusted. Like I would, you, you're one of the people I would ask. And then if you didn't know, if you couldn't explain it, you would at least be able to tell me where to find mm. information I could trust. Um, I've definitely had to do that. I mean, when you don't know anything about a certain topic, if you're very new, you really have to just be okay with sounding dumb. <laughs> like you have to be okay with just saying, like the other day I blanked on who the Danish prime minister was. That's pretty essential knowledge. And I was just <laughs> completely, I also referred to Boris Johnson as the prime minister, even though he wasn't anymore. And I was just like, oh, oh, I now know how I, how I look. <laughs> and yeah, I just blanked on a thing. So I think it's just about swallowing your pride and then, yeah, asking people you trust in the same way as my mother asks me what to vote. Mm. And I tell her exactly what to vote. Right. I mean, it gets back exactly to what you said right at the start about accessibility and mm. like the elitism of politics. We're so scared to ask questions for the mm. for the fear of looking stupid that it just stops us accessing more and more information when... And it's it's purposely made difficult. Yeah. It doesn't have to be difficult. But they make it difficult so that we won't engage, so that they have more power. It's the same with like taxes. It doesn't have to be difficult to fill out your tax form, but every single word is so hard. It's the same with voting. It doesn't have to be difficult to get your voter's card or whatever, but they make it difficult because the less we feel like it's for us, the you know, the, I come from a very uh, working class, well, Danish working class family. 
And not like the reason my mother is in no way politically engaged is that she started working in a factory when she was 14 and then hasn't looked back, like has never gone to school. And she just, it doesn't feel for her like it's something to do with her. It's like, oh, that's complicated. Or like, that's not for me. But then when I explain things to her, she's like, oh, oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> like, it's not that difficult. But we want people, especially people who are too busy working three jobs so they can pay their gas bill. We want those people who would benefit from socialism to not be engaged so that then we can have the rich people just making all the decisions. Like, it's, it's, it's difficult on purpose. Yeah, totally. So on to something a little bit more lighthearted. I feel like we've got into I'm very much a, I'm a very funny comedian <laughs> and I have a lot of very angry feelings, it turns out, about these things. So in the run-up to this podcast, um, so every guest that I'm having on the podcast has either got like a special political interest or an area of expertise. Um, obviously, I, I know you quite well, so I sort of yeah. floated a few ideas. Do you want to, you've written a book about fat phobia, so I thought yeah. maybe you want to talk about that, which we are going to do yeah. in a part two. However, you said to me, there are two things you feel really passionate about. And I think... I think one of them was school uniform. I feel very passionate about school uniforms. And As in against. Yeah. <laughs> and and I can other. already pre I'm preempting this. I'm preempting the tweet. But actually bullying, shut up. Okay. You can say it's like, oh, but then you don't look different. Yes, you do. You can tell if a person is different from other things than what they wear. Clothes, the way they speak, their fucking body shape, everything. Also, the UK has the uh, highest level of bullying in the world, so fuck off. <laughs> I'm so against school uniforms. It is horrendous. It's just to put little children in a suit what <laughs> tiny children in a suit shot and you have to pay for them then what's the point no <laughs> if anything it's like it just makes them all look uniform and like the same they're just creating these little similar people who just are not taught to have an individual thought in their minds so yeah we're not gonna talk about that i'm <laughs> not gonna talk about that one <laughs> that can be season two episode three or something yeah <laughs> well i've said everything i need to say actually so i'm, I'm done now but the other thing i will let you explain <sighs> this is my opinion and it always sounds like an unpopular well it probably is an unpopular opinion but it shouldn't be because i'm right i we don't have democracy. That's a fact. We don't have democracy. If we had democracy, everyone would be voting, everyone would be given a fair chance, and we'd all know everything. This isn't a dem We have the illusion of democracy, but the way it's built, like someone told me that in this country, they m make sure to put the, the uh, voting days on days where it rains so that fewer people will. What the, f what the fuck is wrong with this place? That's not democracy. That's not democracy. And then I thought, well, if we don't have democracy, what do we have? Or rather, what should we have? And I don't think it's fair to assume that everyone in a population know what the right decision is to make for everyone else. So I'm just going to, I'm going to throw out the word dictator. I'm going to throw out the word benevolent dictator, right? And I think that should be what it is. And I have to I have it all planned out. Okay, we have the a, a kind, nice <clears throat> dictator. And it's not just one person deciding everything, but this person then has a team of people, like experts, who are like also good people with the same, you know, everyone should... <sighs> Say, for example, it was me. Right? <laughs> I'm not saying I would want that, but if I was forced to... Uh, sure. <laughs> but the idea would be... 
I would want if I was a dictator of a country for the poorest, um, worst off person in the country to still have a very nice life. And that would be the aim. That no one is like, like even the, the worst off person has a really good life. And that's the aim. I'm not necessarily saying everyone should be the same. We should all, it, it's not like extreme communism necessarily, but it's the same idea of going, of course, some people can have like a bit more money or some people can do one thing or some people don't have to work or whatever it is. But as long as no one's miserable and no one's like can't get help and no one, you know, is struggling so much with their you know, mental health, physical health, whatever it is, just make sure that everyone's really happy, which shouldn't be a, shouldn't be a wild <laughs> statement to make. So they, so you just get these like panels or like these groups of people who can then say, this is what we need to do in order to fix climate change. And then you do that. And then this is how much taxes need to be in order to do this. Okay, then we do that. Like, so you get all these people who actually know what they're talking about and not just people who are like, it's weird to have a job title that's politician. What do you do? What do you actually know? What is the thing? So that's my idea. And some people disagree. <laughs> well, I think some people disagree, and I think a lot of people would argue that is <clears throat> technically what our country should be <laughs> in the current system, and that's the the role of a cabinet. But that it doesn't work that it way. Doesn't work like that. <laughs> that is not. That's the, not the reality. We, can, we can't have. We can't put it to the public because the public is so. We not even they. We the public. We are so <sighs> manipulated so easily by the media. Like I remember. When I realized, so I was in my bubble uh, with the the last election where I really thought Jeremy Corbyn would win because everyone was talking about Jeremy Corbyn. And I was like, no, I think it's about like a 50-50 chance. Like, I think this could maybe work. And then I was on a train and I saw, I don't know which newspaper, some popular right-wingy one. And the front cover was like shitting all over Jeremy Corbyn. And I just thought, oh, oh, wow, that's what we're up against. So, like, we're shouting on Twitter trying to get Labour to win, and it feels like we will. But then this huge newspaper that literally everyone will read or see has this cover that when you just see it without knowing better, even I thought, oh, no, like, oh, hang on. (laughs) So that is so easy to convince people of that. And then it just becomes the people voting are no longer the people, but it's the media. And if you put it all together it's probably like what 100 people who vote and they will vote in their best interest because most of them will be will have a lot of power and the people who still have a lot of power are usually white men white old men so we don't have like those are the people controlling the country right now the rich people and you don't like have you ever been to like a first class lounge or like anywhere where there's just a bunch of rich people they're the worst <laughs> they're the worst they like push in in front of you they shout at they shout at waiters they Rich people are the worst. They've not learned manners. They're so entitled and they just want more, more, and more. And they can't even imagine what it's like being poor, right? They think poor is like, oh, they just have fewer holidays. You know, it's the classic, let them eat cake, right? Mm. So we can't have them controlling it. So, but if we just had one good person was actually, and I know it's, an, it's a theoretical idea, right? Because then people say, but how would we know? It's like, that's not the point. The point is in this situation, it is. It is a good person making the right decisions Mm. that's not then people say oh power will get to someone's head not necessarily and then people say oh but we've had that before and it's gone wrong usually men though right (laughs) it's always men hasn't it always been men (laughs) and also that we normally the good people wouldn't want to be a dictator 
So of course it's the bad men who go and do it. But in this situation, the good person would become the dictator. Then what would happen? It's like uh, when you uh, when I used to work for um, charities, um, we I worked for a company where we did micro loans to like communities in mm. certain like poorer quote unquote poorer countries, and you give if you give the money to the men, they spend it on themselves. If you give the uh, money to the women, they spend it on the community and they make sure everyone's good. It's like, hey, maybe try. I say, I keep saying a good, di- good dictator. Maybe it's just a female dictator. Maybe that's what we need. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Especially in this country, we have no. I sh- no. I'm just thinking about some of the that's women. That's a whole kind of. <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking of the women who've been in power in this country. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> but just like a good person. Yeah, and I'm just gonna. You mentioned the media. I'm with this. hypothetical universe with the benevolent dictator. What is the role of the media in this universe? I would say heavily supervised, but the focus would be truth. So I'm thinking like usually when a dictator controls the media, like that's bad because then they can say, say that I'm amazing and Photoshop me onto a horse. You know, (laughs) I'm, you know, we see the Putins and the North Korea and stuff. But this would be, you can be realistic, you can totally criticize the government as long as it's true. Or you make it very clear it's a think piece or it's someone's opinion or like, and the general gist would be do no harm, don't harm people. Like that that should always be people's first. I find it when, this is going to make me sound arrogant, I don't care. Like when I, and I think you have the same thing. You know, when you hire people and we're just like, we've, we're technically like a business, but we're also individuals. <clears throat> so when we hire people to do like, to transcribe a show or to like edit a video or something like that, I'm always like, I always pay a bit more than they ask. And I always say like, nothing is more important than your mental health and your physical health. So yeah, of course, I need this to be released on this date. But there is nothing that is more important than your you, your welfare and everyone always reacts very shocked and so would I like so do I when people have said that to me like that never happens right but it's not that difficult we're just not used to it so if we if we actually had that mentality around the public like people in general like hey your well-being actually means more than making money or following the rules or whatever it is I really think we just need to get used to it and I know that the first couple of years maybe decades People would not like the idea that we now have a dictator. That's fine. <laughs> but I think we're not, I think we'll make a rule that down the line, give it like a generation, people can vote and then say, do you want to keep this or not? I will bet you they will want to keep it. <laughs> everyone will be so happy and feel so chill. Oh, the air will be clean. Public transport would work. People would still have enough money that they were happy and like didn't ever need to need anything. And yeah. Sounds dreamy. It's making me a little bit sad. That we don't have that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. So we have to step out into the real world after this. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I was a bit, I was gone in, in it as well. I was like, what? Okay. How do I? 
We love it. If we can't live in a fantasy, what can we do? I love it. Um, so the last question then um, is, um, I put a little Q&A out on Instagram for mm. questions that people wanted to ask my guests. And there was one question that came out top of everything else. So I haven't prepared you for this one. Ooh. Uh, so thinking on the spot. So do they know who I am or is it just a random? No, this is for everybody. Everybody's oh, okay. going to get asked this question. Okay. Um, so if you were prime minister for a day and you could do one thing yeah. with no scrutiny, nobody yeah. can question you, you can do whatever you want, but you can only make one decision. Yeah. What would you do? Well, I'd then become the dictator <laughs> or demolish democracy. <laughs> this is my chance. This Canada. is it. This is happening. Just one tiny decision. Yeah. Ruin the entire... Well, maybe I had to be more realistic. Oh, bloody... Well, can they re... Can they just change it the next day? No, nope. sticks. No scrutiny. No take backs. Nothing. One decision. Ooh. Oh. So then I was thinking like higher taxes for rich people, but then they could just use that tax on like... The queen's funeral or something and then what's the point it would have to be a bigger structural change okay do you know what this is what i feel is important this is the problem isn't it the problem is that i'm thinking what would i do in reality what i should do there are people out there who know right so i would I, and i think we have as people like a tendency to do like oh i would do this thing and then actually there would be someone really clever going no god no that could <laughs> backfire like this so what i would actually do is find the people who know this, who know exactly what the best thing would be to do. Someone with the same politics, the same ideas of like, we just want everyone to be happy and not struggle. To be like, what should be the one thing I could change politically? Because that's the problem is that I don't actually know what I'm doing, which is why we need the benevolent dictator, right? Because how am I to know what we should do? How can, we, how can we make these decisions? Actually, I would ask someone who knows, and there will be someone out there with the theory and the knowledge, like the one thing we should change to make everyone's lives a lot better. I love it. That's a very lovely way to avoid a question. It's not. No. <laughs> no, I love it. I do. <laughs> I think it's like, I could, I mean, what? <coughs> I would eradicate school uniforms. Right. <laughs> That's that would expected. just be my personal gain. People would be like, really? You used your special power for that? I'd be like, yeah, I fucking hate it so much. Uh, thank you so much. That's uh, really great. I can't wait to hear what people think about your <laughs> hypothetical universe. Uh, it's going to be really interesting. Yeah, you're come be... to my comedy show. I'm clearly very funny. <laughs> um, you're going to be coming back for part two to talk about some other stuff. But uh, thank you so much for coming on for part one. Thanks for having me. Thank you. If you want to find out more about Sophie or watch some of her work, you can find everything over on sophiehagen.com. That's S-O-F-I-E-H-A-G-E-N. You can also follow Sophie on Instagram at sophiehagendk and on Twitter at sophiehagen. Sophie is currently touring her brilliant stand-up comedy show called Fat Jokes and still has dates left to go at Harrogate, Lancaster, Cambridge, Norwich, Fareham, Reading, Didcot, Birmingham, Northampton, Bristol, Bath, Leicester, Winchester, New Milton and Aldershot. If you want to keep up to date with this podcast, you can follow us on Instagram at Politics and Pints Pod. You can support the podcast by leaving a review and subscribing on whichever platform you listen to podcasts on. See you at the same time next week. <laughs>